Anyway, let's go ahead and pray, and we will get started. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would truly guide in this as we look into your scripture. Awaken whatever needs to be done in our hearts as we look at these scriptures. There might be someone that comes to mind. There might be a person that we've just wondered, have they truly trusted you? Or maybe we might wind up looking in our own hearts. Nothing wrong with that. We need to be able to stand accountable for what we do, the decisions that we've made. And it's a joy to know that we can know that we truly are born again. But we need to look. We need to see our own status, how we're living, how we're growing, and if we're really in the body. So your will be done, I pray, tonight. In Christ's name, amen. I made mention of this just uh, a little while ago. This is one of the most important messages that you can preach. That This is one of the most important things that we can, as individuals and as a local church, look at. Because really, I mean... When you, when you boil the fat out of it, what is the most important thing for each and every one of us? Are we in Christ? There is a passage in chapter 13 of 2 Corinthians that is used to challenge people. Let's just read that one verse for right now and we'll get going in this. But look at verse 5 in chapter 13. Examine yourselves whether ye be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Put yourself to the test. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. Now, we're going to be taking this and we're going to be pulling a lot out. We're going to extrapolate much but we're going to do it a little bit at a time. There's going to be a couple of other passages that we will go to that really shed some good light here. I remember I made a profession of salvation when I was seven years old. But then at age 13, the Lord really convicted me. And I'll never forget it that night at our youth pastor's house. Uh, January 14th, 1967, Saturday night at 8.30 p.m. I remember I was bowing my head over in his garage over his lawnmower. I just, I, I can remember all that. Now, some people, they can't remember a whole lot about what took place when they were saved, but they know they trusted Christ. What more important thing than to know you're on your way to heaven, that you're in Christ. Some of you don't know him. You weren't here when he was here. But we used to have uh, the Bushies in our church, Dave and Marlene. Uh, 
they were a blessing to the church like so many others, but he was with Abeka uh, and was uh, a salesperson for California and Hawaii and Northern California at least. And I remember him telling the story that uh, when he was growing, when he was growing up, uh, he had made a profession of salvation. And here he was, he was in Bible college. I think, I, I hope I don't get this really messed up bad, but he was 19 years old. He was president of the youth group or the group that they had there at the church. Had a, you know, outwardly had a great testimony, but he knew in his heart that he was not truly saved. And he argued with himself. You know, I, I, I can't do this. You know, I just, I'd embarrass myself and people would wonder, you know, what, what in the world is, you know, Dave doing, et cetera. But finally, one night, I think it was at a special meeting at their church, something like that, uh, he came forward and said, I'm not saved. I am not saved. I have uh, a pastor friend of mine who believed that he was called of God, went to Bible college, and was hired by a church here in California as an assistant pastor. And finally, after fighting the Lord for so long, made sure of his salvation. He called the pastor, a well-known pastor that he was going to be working with, and told him what had gone on. And the pastor said, well, come on. The Lord will work, and he did, and he has done a great ministry. When it comes to this, this thing about salvation, remember, you know, Jeremiah 17, 9? The heart is what? Deceitful. Above all things, yes, and desperately wicked. To the point of who can know, who can understand it completely? Really, when it comes to the local fellowship here, I, um, you know, in, in time past, and I hate to say it, but even now, I, 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 I look at some people and I wonder, are they truly born again? Because there, there are things that take place in the life. Now, some folks, they backslide. They just do. You know, how many of you have ever backslidden? I knew I was saved. How could I tell? Because the Lord was convicting me like crazy. But I, I'm telling you, I, I have people that come into my mind's eye right now when it comes to this question. And it's like, what in the world is going on? I, I, I hear, you know, these people are here, they sing, they, you know, they say amen, you know, and all that. And then I hear how they're out someplace and they're doing things and saying things. And it's like, what is going on? Talk to them. Oh, no, I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm really saved. Okay, well, you know, praise God. I'm not going to stand here and call you a liar. But um, the Bible does say, by their fruit, you shall know them. And what more important thing, not just for the under-shepherd, but for fellow sheep, as it were. You know, I, 
I don't know about you, but when we pray for our family, you know, I mean, Lord, save the grandkids. And there's, there's people that we've been praying for, and I don't need to remind you, some of you, you know, about who they are. Here's the Apostle Paul that planted the church at Corinth. Some people believe that with the, um, the language that he uses, that actually he wrote three letters to them. I don't know. I'm, you know, but I know he wrote two. He had a burden for them. He was, he, he, he was trying to be gentle, but then he was firm as well. And we're going to see that as he's wrapping up what really is the last letter, whether it's number two or number three, in a general way, he is saying this, number one, be prepared. Number two, you know, examine yourselves. Prepare yourselves, examine yourselves. Let's look at verse one. Let's just get a grasp of what is going on here. We won't read the whole chapter, but a good bit of it. Verse one, this is the third time I am coming to you. In the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. I told you before and foretell you as if I were present the second time. And being absent now, I write to them which heretofore have sinned and to all other that if I come again, I will not spare. Since ye seek a proof of Christ speaking in me, which to you word is not weak, but is mighty in you. For though he was crucified through weakness, yet he liveth by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God towards you. Examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. But I trust that ye shall know that we are not reprobates. Now I pray to God that ye do no evil, not that we should appear approved, but that ye should do that which is honest, though we be as reprobates. For we can do nothing against the truth, but for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak, and ye are strong. And this also we wish, even your perfection. Therefore, I write these things being absent, lest being present I should use sharpness according to the power which the Lord hath given me to edification and not to destruction. This is, there's a mouthful here. So let's just, let's, let's go through it a little bit at a time right now, and I think I'll pick it up a little bit more when we're back a week from tonight. In verse one, he has said, this is the third time I'm coming to you. And then he quotes Deuteronomy 19.15. Now, the presence of witnesses, and we're not going to go into this, the presence of witnesses would help to guarantee the truth of the matter of all that he has dealt with them in, especially when church members were battling one another. And remember, there were those 
that were in the church that were pulling Paul down, they were trying to literally muscle their way into leadership. Had the church members followed the instructions given by Jesus in Matthew 18, they would have solved most of their problems themselves. This is why it's important for us to have these things down. For instance, in our Constitution, there is scripture that's given on how to handle certain situations. Like if there's a problem with the pastor, if there's a problem with a church member, etc. The Bible makes plain. Look at verse 2. I told you before and foretell you as if I were present the second time. And being absent now, I write to them which heretofore have sinned and to all other that if I come, I will I come again, I will not spare. So he is setting up the situation here. Again, Paul's heart is breaking. Again, he planted this church. You know, I, I, and I've told you this already. I don't, you know, when we went through the COVID thing and everybody had to stay out, we had a minimal, you know, we had the, the proverbial skeleton crew here getting the broadcast out. But then after a few weeks, people started coming in. And it was at that time that I really began, I mean, you know, just big time appreciating everybody. You know, here we were in the middle of all this. You know, man alive, I've talked about it. You know, a couple of weeks went by and we're all laughing. You know, it's, oh man, this, you know. And, you know, you got people showing, boy, the, the freeways are dead and everything's empty and all that. And then after a couple of weeks, it just wasn't funny anymore. But for a pastor, you're wondering how things are going. I remember Dr. Jack Treber put out a video to the local leadership, politicians there in Santa Clara, telling them, please back off. That got seen by millions. I forget what the final count was, but I think it was something like two to five million. I mean, people all over the world looked at that. It was so earnest. He was so impassioned because he was a preacher. And when I was just recently down in Lancaster, they have a large uh, bus ministry, and they just finally, just now, this year, got it going again, and they found out that most of the kids that were riding the bus, most of the kids, teenagers, adults, they either had moved away or they didn't want to ride anymore. Well, those people needed pastoring as well. Now, we're not near that big. But, you know, I'm looking at a group of people right now that I love. I do. And then when you think about other people that I wish, boy, they, I wish they were here tonight, it hurts. It just does. Because one day you're going to stand in front of Christ. And I had better be doing my job from this place. Because you need to know, and for that matter, I need to know how to prepare 
to stand before him. So we need to prepare ourselves. Paul is saying this. He says, look, you, you, you're going down this road. I will not spare. And that phrase is used when you're going into battle. It wasn't a thing where he was going to go in and put his hands on his hips and go, all right, everybody, would you please straighten up? No, he, he's, he's going in. They have been accusing him of being weak. And his response is, no, he's not going to go in with a sword, but he's going to go in with the sword of the Spirit. And he is going to make sure they understand what is at stake. Folks, we need to make sure what is at stake. How many places are there for people to go when they die? How long does that last? I mean, my mind goes tilt when I think of that. And then I think of faces. I think of people who have sat in this auditorium. I I, I think of one particular person among several that after I saw them for the last time, said, I'm going to hate him all the way up to heaven. My Bible says you have that attitude. You don't have Christ. Now, it's a long story, and no, I didn't do anything wrong. If you want to talk to me about it later, that's fine. But the sad thing is, is there was an attitude it didn't need to be. I'm sure you've had situations where you've had people that have just turned on you. It happens in the body of Christ. The world doesn't like us. But when it happens inside the body of Christ, that's rough. And this is what was was burdening Paul's heart. Now, look at verse 3. Since ye seek proof of Christ speaking in me. Now remember, the Judaizers were saying, hey, he's weak. He's not really who he says he is. Well, sure he was, but this is what they were saying. Since ye seek a proof of Christ speaking in me, which to you word is not weak, but is mighty in you. For though he, speaking of Christ, was crucified through weakness, yet he liveth by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God towards you. By the world, both Jesus and Paul were weak. This is how the world sees it. But according to the standard of the Lord, both were strong. Could you or I be up on a cross and without the power of God say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do? Jesus had strength. When it came to Stephen, the martyr, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. No, that's, that's, that's really something. And with Paul, we're looking at the same situation. 
So he's telling them, look, you, you, you got to prepare yourself. And folks, that's exactly what we need to do. You know, there's different scenarios. We could be examined. We, we could have a situation where we need to examine ourselves here in a most serious way or be examined by somebody else or we could wind up in the presence of the Lord like that through one way or another. Again, when it comes to this world, there's a hatred for the people of God. I, was, I forget who I was hearing this from. It might have been somebody even in here. But there was a pastor that I heard of in a, in a certain part of the country. He always made sure his wife was with him because there were people there that were trying anything and everything they could to bring an accusation against him to the point that there were times when there was a picture taken of he and his wife. And with today's technology, they superimposed the face of another woman on his wife. That's this world. That's this world. And so we need to recognize, we need to be prepared. All right, this is where we are in Christ. We need to be ready to give an answer, the Bible tells us. So now, let's go to this subject. Examine ourselves. We've already read verses 5 through 10. Let's stop. Walk with Paul. Ask ourselves some questions here. Paul told the Corinthians that they should examine their hearts. Have you ever examined your heart? Now, now wait a minute. I'm, I'm not, you know, let's, yeah, I've done, you know, one way, well, four years ago. No, no, no. Just, just to stop and consider where you're at. You know, I was, I was talking to the Lord about something in my own life over, over the weekend. And, you know, I, I'm, he's telling me there's some work that you need to do in a particular place. No, 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 let me back up. There's a work that you need to let me do in a particular place. Now, if we're not careful in the flesh, we can tell, you know, well, this person needs, you know, boy, they need, oh, I'm telling you, oh, boy, they, they really struggle. Isn't it amazing how we can see uh, the, the sawdust in somebody else's eye, but we don't see the lumber yard in our own eye. You know, I, this is this is where this is where it gets. It's amazing. It's sad as well. But we know it to be true that there is a trigger in our flesh. We are like that to defend ourselves but in the very same way to find fault elsewhere. Because when I can do that, that takes the focus off of me. And I'm telling you, if Dan doesn't get right with God, 
I mean, we're, we're, this, this, is, this is bad. You know, we, we, we can kid about it. But aren't we here to encourage each other? And you know, in encouraging each other, there are times when there's something that we need to talk about. Now, praise God, I am not going to go into any detail but I am joying very much because there has been a major spiritual victory in this church. I love it. Who is it? I'm not going to tell you. But it's there. And I can't wait to see the same thing happen elsewhere. Don't you love it when a victory is seen in somebody else's life, even when you have yet to see the fruition of your own that you want to see. It's the same thing, by the way, with pastors. Don't you get jealous over other churches? No. Because it's not about personality when it comes to standing before the Lord. It's about doing God's will. And if there are more souls that are being saved than another church, praise God, people are being saved. Glory! Do I want to see him saved here? Yes. That means we have work to do. I want to see children grow. Praise God for the Wednesday night ministry that we now have with Brother Ted Selby and those that are helping with him. And he's going to be giving just, just a little bit of an insight in that next Sunday morning. But I want to see that grow. I want to see people talking to their neighbors. They're co-workers. <laughs> I have a favorite sandwich um, at Carl's Jr. The grilled cheese sourdough breakfast sandwich. How many of you have ever had that? Oh, man, if you haven't, you're missing. I love it. And it's been so long since I haven't. I said, hey, this is my birthday week. Honey, we're going through Carl's Jr. So I drive in, and here comes this guy. Yeah, nice young man. And I said, hey, have you read the track yet that I gave you? And he goes, huh? I said, you know, this one. He goes, oh, that's my brother. I work here too. <laughs> I said, well, then you need to read it. Yeah. But just letting people know. Letting people know. Right now, when we think of people going to gas stations, one of the things that winds up coming to mind is somebody gets shot. How about if we read about somebody got saved? <laughs> So much. We need to ask ourselves, there's just a few questions. Do we have the witness of the Holy Spirit in our hearts? Hey, Romans chapter 8. Do we love the brethren? Now, in all seriousness, do we love the brethren? Yeah, but you know, some people, yeah, I know. How many of you at ever, any time in your life, you have been difficult to love? And yet somebody did. Yeah, Roger, it's never happened to Roger. You know, just ask Cheryl. No, no problem, you know. But you know, it winds up, you know, we wind up being like that. Hey, according to 1 John 2, now listen to me. Do we practice righteousness? 
You know, over the, uh, th- there's been, I've mentioned it to you before, there's been a couple of things that the Lord really has brought to the forefront in my heart and mind. One of them is this thing on the fear of God. The fear of God will help us in our hunger for righteousness. There is no sin that is worth pursuing because the wages of sin is death. And all God's people said, this is part of preparation. And this is part of examination. There are things that are just not worth pursuing. I'd rather pursue him. Now, here's where the pastor in me wants to stop and challenge us all. Maybe have us bow our heads. I'm not going to do that now. But have us stop and say, now, now, seriously, where is the passion for the righteousness of God? Now, some people might think, well, you know, come on, let's just... No, this is important. In going after these things, the things of God, the stability that we talked about this morning comes into play. There is stability that is escaping our culture. People don't know what they are built upon. For that reason, we need to be set to give the answer. And in doing so, we help, we rejoice in this, that God gets the work done in other people's lives. Do you practice righteousness? Have you overcome the world so that you're living a life of godly separation? It's going to be a couple of things I'm going to be speaking on in the future. We need to be careful on. We need to be careful about the music that we sing. We need to be careful about the people that we listen to. I'm not trying to say only listen to me. Oh, my soul, not even close. But there are people out there. Listen, you're not going to get good theology from Joel Osteen. You're not going to hear truth from that book known as The Shack. You're not going to get it. And I could go on, but that's not what this message is about. Many of the problems, and it's, this isn't me saying it, I mean, this is good men down through the ages. Many of the problems that take place in a church are caused by people who quite honestly are only professing salvation. There is no possession. And if you try to confront them about it, they go berserk on it. But it's the truth. There are people way in time past, and Brother Whiteside would know what I'm talking about. He has studied some of these. Paul uses the word reprobate here. He uses it several times. The word means counterfeit, discredited after a test. Paul made it clear he did not want the Corinthians to fail the test. 
just to prove that he was right. He wanted people to listen to what he was seeking to get them to grasp. Bottom line, look, Paul was not, Paul was not concerned about his own reputation. He was concerned about the people that he had given the gospel to. Hopefully they had trusted Christ. He was concerned about their Christian character. So with that, we need to recognize this. We must be brutally honest. And, and if you are saved, truly saved, praise God. If you're truly saved, you need to take this and pass it on. The people in your own sphere. And, and pray over them. And pray, Lord, if they're not, just open a door. Do something. We need to be brutally honest about the situation, about our salvation. Because like a friend of mine says, when you walk through death's door, it's a done deal. It is done. It's over. There, there, there is no salvation 2.0. Right? But for that reason, you know, by God's grace... We need to be right in this. Now, we're going to be going to the Old Testament next Sunday night on this because the Bible gives us a couple of illustrations that we need to take a look at when it comes to this thing of salvation. The heart, it's, it's deceitfulness, but then also how the world approaches us or what happens when we do get the gospel. Now, we're going to go to, we're going to go to Pharaoh and how they dealt with, well, how he dealt with the children of Israel. But before we do that, take your Bible and go to Matthew 13. Next week, we're going to be with Pharaoh. But tonight, we're going to Matthew 13. A very familiar passage, but even though it's familiar, let's look at it. Verse 1, the same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside, and great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside. The fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up because they had no de uh, deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them, but other fell on good ground and brought forth fruit, some an hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. The disciples came and they asked him about, what, what was it that you were trying to say? Why are you speaking in parables? And he gives the reason. But now look down to verse 18. Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one 
catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which received the seed, received seed by the wayside. What that implies there, he doesn't understand it. It implies that he has no native insight. There was nothing that took place. He wasn't grasping it. It wasn't that it wasn't plain and being preached, but he was dull of hearing. Verse 20, but he that receiveth seed, excuse me, he that receiveth the seed in stony places, the same as he that heareth the word, and anon with joy receiveth it, yet hath he not root in himself, but dureth for a while, for when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by he is offended. There's a block that is thrown into his heart, and all of a sudden it's not there. Now, there are people that have different thoughts on these soils. My personal opinion is that only the fourth soil there is salvation. Other people have other things. That's fine. I'm not going to argue it with anybody. It's no problem. But I do find it interesting in this. I do believe I see people that I've dealt with, people that I've known. In this second one, there are people, and we know some quite possibly, they fell in love with the culture that Christ brings. But they didn't see themselves as sinners needing Christ. The words were good. The atmosphere was wonderful. The people were friendly. The songs were nice to sing. We can identify with them in certain aspects and we can get the family away from certain influences. But then Satan does his dirty work. And they're offended. I've seen that happen here. You probably have seen it as well. If you thought about it, if you just kind of, not judging the person, but just in his observer. Look at the third soil. Verse 22. He also that receiveth seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word. And the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becometh unfruitful. Remember the young man that came to Christ and said, hey, I've kept all the, all the commandments. What lack I, you know? I want to follow you. And Jesus spoke to him about the last six commandments. Thou shalt not do this, this, you know, et cetera, et cetera. He says, I've kept those since my youth. What do I lack? And you know what Jesus said. Go out, sell what you have, give to the poor, and come follow me. And the young man walked away because he was rich. There's the deceitfulness of riches. There's the things of this world. What the scripture is trying to show us is that with any singular person, 
you're going to have one of these soils, one of the four. And I haven't read the final one. But you know what I mean. Everybody has, in general, these challenges. And therein, Satan can do his work. And we wind up having somebody eventually that walks away. It might take a few minutes, a few hours, a few days, a few weeks. It might take a few years. But they'll walk away. In some situations, my wife and I have known not of people in this church, but it's broken our hearts. And yes, even with people here in time past. I mean, when you've been someplace over 30 years, you, you know, there, there's people that stick in your mind, and I'm not judging them. It just grieves me because, quite honestly, I don't know if they're going to be with us at the final shout. When the Lord takes us home, I don't know if they're going to be there. And have you ever loved somebody and they've made choices that broke your heart? So really, here we are, finishing up 2 Corinthians, quite honestly, on one of the most serious situations we can talk about. Where Paul challenges people that he loves, and in doing so challenges us all, examine yourselves, prepare for that examination, but then examine yourselves. Now praise God for this. Verse 23. But he that receiveth seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit, some forty, some an hundred, and some sixty, some thirty. Everybody's going to grow differently, but praise God for the growth. Amen? Praise God for the growth in our own lives. You know, we rejoice in all of that. But now we're back to this. Examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. Take it to heart. Pray about others. But take it to heart. Because Paul says, Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. This message is that kind of a challenge, that kind. Remember this, God's call is always to that which is better. God's call is always to that which is better. When he called the children of Israel, come on out. He said this, I've got a land I'm going to take you to. When Christ spoke to the disciples in John 14, he said, I go to prepare a place for you. Isn't that great? You know, when we were on our way to the church today, I can't even remember what it was, what it was about. I don't know if it was a political situation or whatever. But I've just found myself saying this. I hate this world. By the way, I do. I hate this world. I don't hate souls. I hate the sin. I hate the Satan that drives people 
into that sin. I hate seeing what it has done, what has happened in our nation. You know, we've got young ears over here, but there's a couple of things I could mention right now that I won't mention right now that our own nation is pushing big time, worldwide, wickedness. Are you comfortable with that? Would you like to pray down, you know, <laughs> fire someplace? <laughs> you want to become the sons of thunder? Lord, can we pray down, you know, like Elijah did? Kawam, you know, just <clears throat> ashes. No, no, that's what, not what we're here for right now. But we are here to call out sin. And so, we need to approach this properly. I'm almost done. You see, if we don't, if, if we don't do these things, if, if we don't get people to understand there are choices, that there's a calling, like John said, the Lord said through John, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That's serious there winds up being a confusion. There's a call that God brings, but there winds up being a confusion, and we've got to recognize this. Folks, this has been going on for a long time. It's not gotten any better. You cite people from way back, and they, you, know, you still see it today. The man that used to, used to pastor First Baptist Dallas, W.A. Criswell, he believed that less than 25% of his church was truly born again. Hello? A.W. Tozer believed that less than 1 in 10 people that professed being Christians were not. Now, I know this. There are liberal and moderate churches where people are there and they're there for the music, for the help, you know, for whatever. And the majority of people, the vast majority of people are not saved. I mean, I look at some churches, I look at a United Methodist church and I think, my soul, when's the last time, if ever, the gospel was preached in that church? There are churches that do not preach salvation. My wife was in a Lutheran church. She never heard the gospel. Never. Until she went to a camp run by a Baptist church. How old were you, honey? You're 11. Now, I, by the way, not all Baptist churches. There are Baptist churches that are trying to embrace sin now, they don't talk about righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. They don't. So I can see this. But even in good churches, R.A. Torrey, by the way, a man that, you know, there I'm sure, I'm sure there are people here they've loved reading of him. He said the same thing, and that was over a hundred years ago. Why do Men make statements like that. Well, let me ask you this. 
Are there dead churches in the nation today? Are there dead churches where you thought, man, it wasn't that long ago, they were alive. By the way, God help this place if we ever go dead. If we ever get to the point where souls don't matter, we ought to just shut it down or replace your preacher or do whatever. But I'm telling you, the center of it all ought to be the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am praying that whatever neighbors that I have that make it in two weeks to the two-minute warning, that they hear the gospel and they turn to it. There's a couple of them, they profess it. I pray that they are, but I want them to hear the gospel. What about churches where there's a lack of obedience to God's commands? There's little zeal for the things of God, little zeal for souls. And quite honestly, there's little difference between the church and the world. Now that breaks your heart, doesn't it? And yet we see, we see colleges today, Christian colleges that have changed. That's gut-wrenching. That's gut-wrenching. There's another way that Satan will play with people's hearts in trying to skew the gospel message. We're going to see that next Sunday night. Now you know why I said, I got to split this in half because I'm not even half done yet. And aren't you glad I'm splitting it in half? By the way, folks, you know, don't you praise God for the body of Christ? I, you know, I, I kid you not. I, I'm, I'm serious. I believe that the local church has become more important to me than at any other time in my life this year. I don't know if it's because of the age that I'm in, but it's so important because maybe in part what I see what's going on out there. But it's time we pray over each other. We pray for each other. And we protect the body of Christ. And we pray for it that it doesn't lose its zeal. And if it needs to see that zeal pick up, then we pray for revival. Big time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would guide now. We are so thankful for your word. Lord, I'm so thankful for these people. Lord, I pray that you would help us in understanding the importance of this subject to examine ourselves and pray for others that quite honestly need to examine themselves. All for us, not not to be a judge over others, but that we would each judge righteous judgment in our own hearts. And I pray this in Christ's name.